Oh, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Shanti, and I have the privilege and great good karma of living and serving in the Ananda Palo Alto uh, community. It is truly a joy being here with all of you this week and this morning. I think that most of you know that uh, among the other ways that the great Atman has decided to manifest through me in this world, uh, one of them is that I'm a physician, and many of you know this story, I'm not going to repeat it, but suffice it to say that the inspiration to become a physician came straight from Master, had uh, in 19... um, 70, was like late 77, I was on the Encinitas beach. And I'll only say that if Master himself had climbed down off of that cliff, taken my hand and said, come on, sweetie, I have a car waiting. You're going to Stanford now. It would not have been any more real for me. I ran home. I was in the middle of a run, said to my husband, guess what? I'm going to medical school. And without a beat's pause, he looked at me and he said, what do we do? I mean, that's how real it was. But the next part of the story, and I'm not going to tell you the whole story, it goes on until this day, that many of you don't know, is that about five or six weeks before we were going to leave to move from Lucadia, where we lived, to come up to Palo Alto, my husband and I were in a bookstore, and a man came up to us. He was big, he was furry, And he had a purpose. I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday. And he walks right up, like a little too close. He says, did I hear you say you're moving to Palo Alto? I said, yes, you did. He takes his big paw, just like that. He says, the first thing you do, the first thing staring at us, is you go to East West Bookstore. This was in uh, 1979, July of 1979. You can imagine as I'm telling this story. We loaded our U-Haul a few weeks later. We moved into a place in Palo Alto, unloaded it that day. And I'm telling you the truth, at 10 o'clock the next morning, we were at the doors of East West Bookstore when it opened, and I walked onto this path. God only knows. You know... The interesting thing about that story, if I had decided to become a physician, if I had studied really hard, if I had done well in the MCATs, I would have actually thought I was doing it. He saved me all of those years of delusion. I was picked up and put there. It's a very important piece of what it means to be healthy and to be well. Yesterday, I was having a discussion with a new friend. I'm just really meeting her. We've known each other for years, but we're just meeting. And she was telling me that, in her words, I was going through, at the same time, a few karmic bombs. That's what she called them. She said, I was sure I needed to be in Southern California, and all of these things needed to happen in my life. And one night I had a dream, and she describes this dream to me where it was dark. She said, it wasn't just night, Shanti. It was darkness. And I was under something very heavy. And I thought I was going to die. 
And then I started screaming for Master. And I woke up, and in that instant, I heard, go home. And she moved back up here. Two months later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer in the midst of all of this love and support. And I can't remember the segue, if there was one. This was just yesterday afternoon. Maybe there was no segue. But somehow she was telling me that her favorite yoga posture was the camel pose. Now, for those of you that don't know, I'm not going to demonstrate it. (laughs) Or you'd be picking me up off the ground. But you're on your knees and your back, and you're wide open. You are stretching your spine. Your heart is open. It's a position that requires great strength. And it's an invitation, but it could also leave you feeling very vulnerable. It's a really powerful position. And she said to me, the affirmation is, with calm faith, I open to thy love. With calm faith, I open to thy love. I tell you these two stories because both of them are such perfect examples of how little we know, how little we really can in any way, with any wisdom, decide how our life is going to go and how utterly essential it is to, with calm faith, open to his light. In 1996... I moved to Baltimore for a few years. Um, Honestly, I may as well move to another planet. Uh, Everything about Baltimore was quintessentially different from everything about California, and I was a California girl. They dress differently, they speak differently, they eat differently, they drive differently. I kept saying to my partner, I feel like I'm taking my life in my hands every time I get on the road. Remember, it's very close to Washington, D.C. It's got a little bit of that kind of energy. But Master put me in this extraordinary costume, whatever it was. I was a doctor. I was a Californian. Many of those people had never been to California. And it was a dream to them. And I came with this big head of curly hair and wearing California clothes and being a vegetarian. Everybody's sure I was going to starve to death. And... Somehow, Master knew, and they just liked me. It was of all weird things. We couldn't be more different, but it worked. Early on there, I was examining a patient, and, you know, I took out my stethoscope. You all know you've seen I put, put it on her chest, and I said to her, okay, honey, take a deep breath. Nothing. So I said, please take a deep breath. Nothing. So I walk around to the front of her. I said, Patricia, I asked you to breathe. She said, I am breathing. I said, you're not breathing. She said, yes, I am. I said, Patricia, this is how you breathe. (sighs) Open your mouth and take a deep breath. I go behind her again. Nothing. I said to her, if six molecules of air went into your lungs, it was a lot. You don't know how to breathe. No wonder you're feeling terrible. (laughs) What I came to realize very short order there, was that they did not know how to breathe. So 
they were tight, you know? It's D.C. Anybody ever been to D.C.? And uh, so you know, they're not breathing. They don't take a deep breath. So I started teaching people how to breathe. And it hooked me up to this practice of meditation and medicine in a unique way, even though I'd been meditating and even though I'd been practicing medicine. Everybody in Baltimore who came to my practice first got a lesson in breathing. One day a woman walked in, Dr. Rubenstone, we'd like you to write an article for our newsletter on wellness. I said, do you want an article? Or She said a piece on wellness. So I thought for a minute, I said, okay, give me five minutes. She said, no, I mean, we want you to write something. I said, yeah, I know, give me five minutes. So she goes out of the office, and I wrote, how to be truly well across the top of a paper. And then I wrote, eat good food, exercise, think good thoughts, and breathe. And it became a thing. Hung in the hospital. Really, I'm not exaggerating. Those are the days where we used to advertise, not on social media, but on billboards. I swear to you, on a billboard in Baltimore. Nobody knew how to breathe. Very interesting. So, what is the goal of meditation? How do we think of meditation and health? Certainly the goal for all of us is self-realization. We know that. And what does that mean, really? That means reuniting our soul with God. That's, in essence, what it means. It means, as Diksha was saying yesterday, opening up and allowing God's energy to flow through us and to hook that up with, to combine it with our breath so that it flows, so that it's life-giving, so that it gives us direction. It means increasing our awareness of our relationship to a larger reality And when we do that, when we realize that we are a part of something bigger, that we are not the source of our own energy, of our own power, of our own strength, that it's coming through us, we are then perfectly well. We are healthy. And what happens when we don't realize that? When we actually get fooled into thinking that we are the source of it all, that we have to work really hard, create all that energy, run around, do all of those tasks, that it's coming from us. We feel thin. We feel brittle. We make mistakes. We get exhausted. We develop high blood pressure, abdominal pain, cancers, anxiety, We are unwell as long as we think we're doing it. That's what happens. How do we define health? Really, we define health as everything we do on our way to self-realization. As long as we're headed in that direction, as long as we're putting one foot in front of the other towards that goal, then we are growing our health, realizing our health. And what are those things that we do? That means that we are 
watching our attitude and being willing and open to change it. We're looking at our mind, and we are willing to change our mind. We're consciously raising our consciousness. We are deepening our attunement. And all of that, every bit of that, of doing that, is taking us towards health. We are increasing our awareness, increasing our concentration. We are remembering that nothing outside of ourselves can really affect our inner reality. And to change that, that we have to go inside and raise our consciousness. And as long as we're doing all of that, we're moving towards wellness, towards health. Really, when somebody said, speak about meditation and health, I thought, are they different? That is our whole entire path. When we talk about how to be truly well, it means to be going ever, ever deeper in meditation. It starts with focusing on the breath. When I was in Baltimore, I don't think I taught more than 10 people the Hung Sa method. I didn't have to. I just started teaching people how to breathe. So what does it take on our part? How do we go about doing that, being well? First of all, it takes commitment. You know, Master is somewhere in... um, I'm forgetting the book right now. It doesn't matter. He said, do violence to yourself at first. That's a quote. He didn't mean flagellate ourselves. That's not what he was talking about. But he was saying, set some limits. Stick to them. Be a little, be serious with yourself. Not hard on yourself, but serious. Now, this does not discount anything that was said yesterday or the day before, the way that we need to leave room for ourselves, that deeply inspiring story about Jaya. That was amazing for those of us who only met Jaya later. So I'm not trying to erase any of that. I'm just saying, if we always say, not today, maybe tomorrow, I'll get there when I get there, guess what? That becomes your reality. We get to get there when we get there. But if we want to do it now, then we have to set some goals. We have to increase our concentration. We need to increase our awareness, as I was speaking about before. We need to put out great effort on this path, because it takes a lot of effort. Some speaker, at least one, every day, has talked about this phenomenon that at some point the scale is going to tip. At some point we're going to be living that reality that Master said. The spiritual path is difficult at first and then effortlessly liberating. But we don't know where that point is. We can't just show up, as somebody said yesterday, at week six and wait for our salary to go up then. No, we have to put in the first six weeks. We have to put out effort. It's absolutely essential that we do it. We have to remember that nothing other than God-realization is going to bring us what we're looking for. Everything else 
everything. There's no exclusion here. It's a delusion. How many times have we heard people say, maybe I've heard it more than others because of what I do. People say it to me a lot about dying. They'll say, I'll be ready to go after. They need to see a child get married, somebody graduate. People are always saying, we'll be happy if there's one thing. I had somebody come to me the other day. I feel perfectly fine. I'm not afraid of dying. But I wonder if I'm supposed to have a relationship first. You know, it's a, and no, and it's, it wasn't funny. It was really serious. Because what if it was his karma to do that? What if it what is? So it's not, I didn't, I didn't mean that to be funny. And I don't want to hurt anybody who comes with these Things to all of us. I'm sure they come to many of us at least. No, it's easy to think. And this person, by the way, had the wisdom to say that to me. I don't want to get stuck in that one more lesson because that's so often what we believe about our path. We're almost ready, but we're not there. But it's all a delusion. Everything that's not God realization. We need to be absolutely ready and willing to step into this huge, expansive, uh, including everything that ever was and ever will be, state of consciousness, and become uniquely ourselves. To realize that everything we are, that everything we're doing, is God acting through us in a very particular way. He dressed me up in a certain costume, and he sent me to Baltimore. Nothing else would have worked. It was just perfect for me and for them. That he has a character specifically for us to play. He has a song to sing through us. He has actions to do through us. We're not doing any of it, and yet it's uniquely ours. We need to stay always wide open to that. And in this process of healing, we need to remind ourselves all the time, it is about health, but it has very little to do with our bodies. Very little. You know, for many years in my practice, even to this day, I've worked with addicts and alcoholics. It's been a great joy for me. I have been convinced that people who have this disease of addiction are great, great, highly evolved souls who have one last bit of very difficult karma to burn. And when they do it, they are extraordinary people, souls, not people, almost to the person. Many years ago, in the days of when AIDS was running rampant, it still is, but we have a lot of treatment. In those days, anybody who got the diagnosis of AIDS was going to die. These drug addicts used to come to me, and the word on the street, if you will, got to be, go and see her, she'll help you die well. And what was it that I was teaching them? I used to sleep on the floor in the hospital next to their beds, I gave the medicine, it's true. I tried to ease what was going on. But mostly I was there to say to them, you are not this addict. You are not the person who was putting drugs in your vein every day. You are not the person who was stealing from your mother or your grandmother or the person who might have committed a murder. You are an exquisite, perfect soul 
you got lost, you got sidetracked. You cannot leave thinking of yourself in that way. We are here to open your heart and to remind you who you are. We are here to help you, not this body. This body's just been a vehicle so you could learn this lesson. You are beautiful, just as you are. We are here to help you die well. It was some of the most gratifying, satisfying, uplifting work I ever did. They all left their bodies, but they all left knowing something different than they would have known. In closing, I'm going to tell you one more story. There's a woman who I saw at Kaiser about two and a half years ago. She came in hysterical. I mean, bouncing off the walls in a little exam room. I had to keep saying to myself, breathe, Shanti, breathe. She was making me very anxious. She was hysterical because OSHA was coming to uh, visit her place of business, and her boss was on her that she had to get everything perfect. And it's true. If you fail this test with OSHA, there's great fines, and it's a deal. I just leave it at that. You don't understand, she kept saying to me. You can't imagine the pressure I'm under. See, yeah, I do. I actually understand. I'm a doctor. I've worked in hospital. No, it's nothing like this. You cannot imagine this. I started talking to her naively at first. We ought to get you to a meditation class. Kaiser offers meditation. She looked at me like I had lost my mind as she was ping-ponging off of the walls. And I said to myself, you have lost your mind. Then I started talking to her about yoga and That was impossible. So then I said to her, look, I know you came for medicine, and I'm going to give you a few pills because, you know, to me it felt like I wouldn't be living by the Hippocratic Oath if I didn't. But I'm giving you five pills. I want you to at least take some deep breaths. She left angry, and um, about three months ago she came back. She found me. I only work a half a day a week there. Varies the day. She said to me, Dr. Rubenstone, do you remember me? I actually didn't. She said, the woman who was here about OSHA. I said, I remember you. <laughs> she said, um, I used the five pills. And when I had nothing left, I started breathing. And after a while of just taking deep breaths, I started taking yoga classes. Now I've been in meditation for six months. But she said to me, here's what I came to tell you other than thank you. She said, I never knew, it never dawned on me that I had any choice in how I reacted. It never dawned on me that I had any choice. And you know, I've thought about that a lot since then. That was a very powerful moment. And I've said to myself, how many times do I forget that I have a choice about how I can react, that I forget that I can, with calm faith, open to his light. How often do I forget to go forth in perfect faith, in the power of the omnipresent good, to bring me what I need when I need it? That's what true health is, to hold that. It's not simply getting there. It's this incredible path that we've been given to walk, always heading towards the light. It's having the great good karma of being in these human bodies, of exercising our free will. And in every moment that we can remember, 
move into that light. Hello, everyone, and for those of you who don't know me, I'm Naya Swami Maria. I'd like to invite you to consider something with me for a minute, and that is that you have just received inwardly a revelation about yourself and the reason why you have incarnated, that you have taken this physical body that you have taken the particular circumstance that has come to you in this life. And that revelation is that you've been given this life to help other people. And what will you do with that? How will you do that? Well, interestingly enough, when I was 19, I had this very clear and strong thought. And the answer that came was, learn how to meditate. It didn't tell me any more than that. It didn't tell me how that was going to translate into anything. But it was very clear that that was the thread by which I needed to pick up my life if I wanted to truly go forward. Davy said earlier this week, and I'll say it again because it's a quote worth repeating, Yogananda said, the deeper the self-realization of an individual, the more he will be able to influence the entire universe through the subtle vibrations flowing through him. Very powerful statement. And I wanted to share with you a story from the autobiography of a yogi. Uh, Many of you most will know it, but some of you perhaps will be hearing it for the first time. It's a very instructive template for how to live life in this regard. And it's not complicated. Yogananda said that one day his sister Roma approached him And Roma was practicing Kriya now for about a year, initiated by Yogananda. And she came to him and she said, Will you help me? My husband isn't interested in this, and he mocks my practice. He doesn't support my spiritual life. Can you help him? And Yogananda very much wanted to help. And he said to Roma, Let's meditate. And they sat there in silent meditation and prayer. And after a while, Yogananda said, I have an inspiration. I'm going to Dakineshwar tomorrow. These are sacred grounds made so by the life of Sri Ramakrishna. And he said, convince your husband that he should accompany us. And perhaps Divine Mother will touch him in some way. And so they set out very early, arriving there at seven in the morning. And Yogananda went over to the portico that faces the temple where a stone statue of Kali is. This Kali became alive for that great saint, Ramakrishna. And as he was going over there, Satish ran after him and he said, I know what you're planning. You're thinking you're going to reform me by bringing me here. 
You just make sure we get fed at our noon meal. And Yogananda said, Divine Mother will take care of it. Well, this meant nothing to Satish, Roma's husband. He knew nothing of Divine Mother. How was she going to take care of their needs on the material plane? So he went off in a huff, and Yogananda sat there in the portico facing the temple and started to meditate. And he went into a very deep state, and the hours passed. Five hours passed. And the local pujari came and started to close the temple doors. And Yogananda felt discouraged a little bit. He thought that if he prayed to Divine Mother that she would come and answer his request. And he stood out on the courtyard, and the stone was searing hot. And he held this thought, Divine Mother, I wanted you to come in living form as you have appeared to the Master Ramakrishna and help my brother-in-law, Satish. Where are you? And in that moment, the temple assumed magnificent proportion. The doors swung open. And in blazing light, Divine Mother appears and looks at him and acknowledges his prayer. Another hour goes by, six hours have gone by, and Satish comes racing across the courtyard, yelling at Yogananda, we've missed our meal, now it's one, we have no food, we're hungry, look what you've done, you silly sadhu. And... Someone approaches at that point and says to Yogananda, I saw your party come very early this morning. It's against temple guidelines, but I've set aside food for all of you. And Satish became very quiet. He didn't speak another word the whole day, the whole trip home. Except Yogananda said periodically he would look pleadingly, desperately into my eyes but not say a word. And the next day, Yogananda went to their home. And the minute he arrived, Satish greeted them and fell at his feet. And he said, I promise, you know, not only will I bring my life to a spiritual focus, but I will support heartily the efforts of my wife in her spiritual quest. A very simple but profound template for everything in life, the way to live. Meditate, get in tune, ask God, and things will change from the inside out, not just for yourself, but for others. A group of devotees has been gathering at the noon meditation on Friday for four months or so now with a specific purpose to magnetize young souls to Ananda village. Now, we need them. (laughs) There's no question, okay? But it's not a, come to Ananda village, we are drawing you with our spiritual power. (laughs) It's an invitation born of attunement and the desire We know there's souls out there who are going to benefit spiritually as we have by an experience 
that will help them to have that revelation inside themselves of their purpose, whatever that is, wherever that is, an experience of God, an experience that will support that quest and that revelation. We know they're out there. And so it's a meditation of attunement and then saying, Master, you know who these are. Yogananda, you know who these souls are. You are everywhere. You are omnipresent. Let them know that this holy place exists. Let them know that there are people here who just want to give, who just want to give to others, who just want to afford others an opportunity such as this. And if they can benefit, send them. And they're coming, and they'll keep coming. But this is how you live the spiritual life. It's in communion with the, with the divine, and things will get done. You will get done what you need to do. Swami Kriyananda said that meditation is the best way to banish delusion. And in his translation of Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, he explains in perfect calmness, every delusion appears illusory when presented to one's perception. That's quite something. And you know, in that same work, he puts out the proposal. If everyone meditated 15 minutes a day, just 15 minutes, this would be a very different planet. But then he goes on to say, if you don't have a spiritual path, if you don't believe in anything spiritual, in God, if you don't want to come to a spiritual community, you know, if you just sit for 15 minutes and practice calmness, the world will be a very different place. Now that's something we can communicate to everybody. We don't have to feel like we're stepping on their toes. Just sit calmly every day, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and it'll be a very different reality that we are living. I wanted to read to you uh, a couple excerpts uh, from letters Yogananda wrote to his brother, Sanandalal Ghosh. And Sananda at this time was putting together a meditation group in Calcutta, And he was also working on the lotus, uh, just to give you a context, the lotus domes uh, where the Mahasamadhi Mandir is in Puri for his guru, Sri Yukteswar. And Sananda experienced considerable tragedy and hardship in his life. You might wonder at this because he was the brother of this great master. But we might wonder at our own tragedy, right? 
We're guru bhais, we're devotees, we're deep souls. What is this about tragedy? What is this about tests? What is this about pain? And this is what Yogananda says to his brother. I am extremely pleased that you are starting the center at 4 Gorpar Road, wherein I was brought up and carried on my spiritual activities first. The thought of past tragedies must be wiped away. I didn't say here. He lost his firstborn in infancy, his firstborn son, and his third son was tragically killed by a random bullet that hit him uh, when an uprising was occurring. It was 1946 in Kolkata, and he died. He died instantly. The thought of past tragedies must be wiped away by clinging more and more to God and by doing some religious work. You have my full approval for what you have started, and you must carry through this noble service to the end. Try to make the work self-supporting and enlist the sympathy and interest of the local people. You must also practice Kriya regularly. Erase all memories of tragedy by establishing the altar of meditation for God. Every place on earth is a place of tragedy. Only by finding the omnipresence of God, all those places of dark trials become illumined with the light of God. On the dark background of tragedy, God has built through you this wonderful center. Cling to the skirt of the Divine Mother and to her bosom in a stronger way, no matter how she beats you or tests you. Doesn't leave us a lot of room to wiggle. (laughs) Some very strong and clear guidance there. Swami Kriyananda, when he... has talked about Kriya Yoga. He says, our reactions to the things in this world take place first in the spine. Remarkable statement. But it's why meditation is such a powerful tool. Meditation in general, of course, deep meditation and specifically Kriya. Because when we practice deep meditation, when we practice Kriya Yoga, it's designed It's designed specifically to break apart those vrittis in the spine where delusion resides. And when those are broken apart, when those are freed up, the resulting experience is one of divine joy. That is the process. That is the equation. Yukteswar explains to Yogananda, 
He says, when the mind is cleared through the practice of Kriya Yoga, of all sensory obstacles, what is revealed then through meditation is the twofold, a twofold proof of God. And what we experience is the ever-new joy of God, evidence of his existence, Sri Yukteswar says, convincing to the very atoms. No room for doubt. And also proof because of the experience of instant guidance and an adequate response to every difficulty. How much more practical can it get than that? We are secured an answer. We are secured an explanation. We are secured an understanding of divine purpose, where we're headed, how we're going to get there, and that we are going to get there. I wanted to share one last, uh, well, it's a vision of a friend of mine. Told to me some while ago, I asked if there comes a point when I feel that inspired that I could share this, that it would be meaningful, may I? And the person said, yes. So here it is. And this person had had a very full day and still had responsibilities in the evening to uh, take care of. And she laid down on her bed just to rest briefly. Next to the bed, there is a picture of Yogananda superimposed on one of our Ananda gardens. And she looked at that picture and immediately was drawn in to that reality. See a picture of Yogananda, hands raised, the palms of her hands met his, their fingers interlaced, their bodies lifted off the ground from matter. And instantly, the first words out of her mouth, Oh my God, I'm awake. It's all a dream. And in that moment, Master started to laugh. A full laugh. She said it was like children who just bust open without any control, any limits. And he's laughing, and she's laughing, and she sees that her body is all light. There's no physical organs. There's no health maladies. There's no pain or discomfort in her body. And as they laugh, the air around them, she said, with each laugh, it rippled out, just waves of light from their body, and they just laughed and laughed and laughed. And she realized that that was her reality all the time. And then in that moment, she was back 
on her bed with the realization that this is a dream and God is with us in this dream and God is with us in meditation to live this dream in daily life, to live this dream as he wills it. And in that realization, we have something, a little something that we can give to others. Indeed, we have everything to give. Thank you. My name is Naya Swami, Brian's uncle. <laughs> and I would like to talk about uh, meditation and work. Um, about, let's see, 37 years ago, Swami Kriyananda went on a tour. And he was with a little group of Ananda people. And a disciple of this path, who was a wealthy businessman, invited Swami Kriyananda and the little group to come over to his house. He wanted to show his house to them. And he gave them a tour of a very large, very impressive house. And at the end of the tour, he turned to Swami Kriyananda and he showed him his meditation room. And he said, and this is where my spiritual life begins. Swami Kriyananda, of course, was respectful, kind, and always proper. But when Swami Kriyananda came back here, he told us the story. And he said, I was disappointed because we must understand that our spiritual life is our entire life, not just our meditation, not just our meditation room. And Swami went on to explain that, that we are in meditation, clearly entering, as best we can, the deepest state of unity. We're dissolving the maya. We're dissolving the separateness of the dream. And that is the purpose of our lives. That is the purpose of Kriya. But then we don't get to meditate all day. How often do we get to meditate? How much do we get to meditate? Not too much. I mean, to receive Kriya, you're asked to be at at least an hour and a half a day. We, if you are a life sevaka and living at the village, Swami suggested you work towards meditating three hours a day. We have a long meditation once a week or when we can, and we have an all-day meditation at Christmas and Easter, and so six or eight hours or ten hours once in a while. Okay, how often do you work? <laughs> eight hours a day? Easy. Ten, twelve? Sure. Five days, six days a week? Okay. I'd like to suggest that we need to use meditation to help our work become sadhana, and we need to use our sadhana to help our work be more supportive to our meditation. That's what Swamiji was commenting on to this gentleman. 
he, he didn't comment to him directly because it might have been taken as rude. And I'm sure he subtly tried to help him see that. But to all of us, he emphasized that the search for God is a full-time, seven-day-a-week, 24-hour-a-day job. And what we have to do, and I would suggest that you look at your own situation, but we need to find a way in which our work day, and that includes non-paid work, such as being a mother, being a father, being a volunteer, whatever it is, supports our meditation practice. In meditation, we go deeply into that light at the point between the eyebrows. We go into that vibration of God. Meditation, simply put, is concentration on some aspect of the infinite. In meditation, we sit the body down, we relax, we withdraw from the senses, and we dive in using the techniques of the Guru's and the Guru's grace to enter into that light. But we will be greatly benefited if we can take that state and bring it into our work. If we don't, we're going to have this wonderful two-hour period in the morning. We're practicing OM. We're feeling that we're OM. We are OM. We're with the Masters. And then we're going to come out of that. We're going to have our cornflakes, and then we're going to go to work. Non-GMO organic cornflakes, and then we're going to go to work. But if we don't hold on to that vibration, we're going to feel Maya slowly tugging us down, slowly clouding, making us forget about the Om and the vibration of the masters. And it's going to pull us down. Maya is intent on pulling us down and out of that state. Because when we're in that state, Maya loses when we go out into the world and you, if you work in the outside, outside of a Nanda business, the influences can be varied. There are just, I, t- I used to, I used to be a minister in Sacramento and people would come to me and they would tell me about where they work and what they did. And I, my jaw would drop. I could not believe some of the work environments that people function on and get paid enormous amounts of money to put up with. (laughs) And you could just feel the Maya pulling them. So I would suggest that each of us, and it's going to be completely individual, because we have our own karma, we have our own job, we have our own situation, but that you try to find a way to hold the vibration that you feel in meditation the deepest point of your meditation, the strongest vision of the light, the loudest om and the highest chakra, whatever you've got, the vibration of your guru, whether that's Yogananda in this path or whatever, and try to take that to work with you. Try to put it in some context and find ways that you stay with that vibration for as much of the day as you can. And then when the day is over, you return to that meditation space. 
and you keep that vibration so that your work supports your meditation. Now, obviously, I'm cheating because I live and work at Ananda Village and I've worked for Ananda Village for 40-something years. But we have to go to the auto shop. We have to go to the grocery store. We have to go. If you live in Ananda Sacramento, you don't get to live on the, in the ashram all day. You have to go and you have to do real estate deals and you have to go to the court and you have to go to the planning commission. You have to go to the auto shop and you have to go fix this and fix that. And you have to keep that vibration of God as strong as you can in your work. One of the reasons that we founded World Brotherhood Colonies is so that people could stay in that vibration, supportive vibration, through their workday. And keep that vibration of the masters so that your meditation builds on your work builds on your evening meditation, builds on your work, your meditation. And you become grounded in that. And you'll find, I hope, and I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure, uh, that the vibration will build if you practice this. Each of us has to find a way to do this at work. I had a discussion with Swami Kriyananda once. I was, for some reason, I don't know why, we were talking about work, and we were talking about work. I was telling him about work that I used to do before I moved to Ananda Village. In one of my jobs, I used to work in a steel yard, and sometimes my job would be to make circles of steel, make hoops. And so what I would do is I would take the two bars, and I would put them in the machine, and they would go around, and my job was to have a hammer and keep the bars in in the circle and at the end of the circle i would throw the bars over there and take the next two bars go around i would do this for eight hours in a row (laughs) and i would do it for day after day sometimes i told swami kriyananda this and he said oh ananta i could never do that and i said Oh, Swamiji, you could do it. What you would do is you'd get a mantra. Like, I would use Hare Krishna. And so I would just, and I started talking to him. And I caught myself. (laughs) And I I stopped mid-sentence. I looked at him and I said, "Um, Swamiji, uh, you taught me karma yoga. (laughs) He chuckled. (laughs) That was the end of that discussion. (laughs) But he said he couldn't do it. Why? Because it's not his dharma. It was my dharma then to make circles. And so you make circles, you have little choice but to have a mantra. Think about God, think about circles. Om, om, circles, chakras, circles. But Swami's dharma wasn't that. His dharma was to write 150 books. I haven't written any books, (laughs) but I've made some really good circles (laughs) for God. And that's the key, is for God, with God, so that the meditation is not broken by the work. And each of us has to find the way at work to make it harmonious and part of God. And that can be a mantra, yes. I work on a farm. It's to see this, I'm interacting with the Divine Mother's life force. And there is this magic every minute 
of little flowers and little bees and little pollination and little fruit coming and all this grand drama happening around me. And I'm not doing anything at all. I put the plants there, step back, om, here it goes. God is the doer. That's the first lesson you have to learn at work. God is the doer. God is doing all of this through you. And so we approach our situation and we see the people around us, our co-workers. God is working through them. We have certain skills or in your office or factory, there are certain skills that people have given by God. But appreciate the God within them and try to feel, and you can do this, you can feel God working through your co-workers, through your company, through your factory. And you can feel God as intelligence, or if you're a doctor, as the healing power of those cells, or the immune system, or just the magic of the human body, and the magic of prayer on the human body, and the magic of having Shanti as your doctor, and that consciousness. And you find, and we've all found this, that have been at Ananda for a long length of time, because Swami Kriyananda said, feel God through all the people that are helping us make this community. And that includes the lawyers and the water rights people and the county bureaucrats and the man at the grocery store and the auto repair lady. Everyone is helping master with the World Brother Colonies by helping you. And to feel their expertise and the joy of that is to feel God. And your meditation becomes enhanced by your day, by seeing everyone doing their thing. It's, it's really fun. It's really fun. I'll tell you a story about uh, maybe 1980. I was driving a backhoe here for Master on the World Brotherhood Colony, making Ananda. And I was the backhoe driver. I dug the outhouses and I made the conduit trenches and the water trenches and the electric lines and we made the roads and we built the Sundance and and we all, you know, Diva got the hammer and I got the backhoe and we all did this. So one day I was serving master, but I was off the property and I was backing up my backhoe and my differential went out. It's in the back of your tractor. Anyway, won't go into the spider gear and the whole thing, but I usually fix my own tractor. But in this case, I wasn't that confident that I could fix the spider differential gear that well. So I went and I got help. So I asked master, who can help me? And there was a man down the road here and he lived, he worked in in the Quonset hut right below us as you go down Tyler Foot, first Quonset house on your left. And so I asked him to help me. I'm going to give you a little background on this man. Uh, If you were alive in the 1960s, there was a television show called The Addams Family. Okay, those are the the people that are over 50. Okay, The Addams Family butler was Lurch. Lurch was six foot nine. Lurch didn't really say anything. He sort of moaned. So anyway, I hired this man. We'll call him Lurch. I don't know his real name. And he fixed my backhoe. From my point of view, this was Master helping me to help build the World Brother Colony. Om, om, om. Thank you, Guruji. 
on we go. So I worked. I um, paid him. And then after about a week, I really, I just felt, I got to go thank him. Thank you. You know, I just, so I went down to see him. And he was working and, and I, I said, hey, um, thank you so much for fixing that gear for me. You really did a great job. Works perfectly. I'm, I'm just really appreciative. Thank you. So Lurch was working on another building truck and he, he turned to me and he went, it's good to know that something goes right around here every once in a while. <laughs> I bit my lip. I did not laugh at him. I said, yeah, thank, thanks, bro, you know, and I walked away, and I could not wait to get home to tell Maria. <laughs> this is the beginning of joy. Yeah. And, <laughs> Lurch, Lurch is serving master. He doesn't know it. He's not that tuned into the World Brotherhood concept yet, but he did help me. He did help master through me because God is the doer. And he did know that it's good to know that something goes right around here once in a while. Now, that's a little sparkle of joy, isn't it? That's the beginning of the path. You know, that's, that's God saying, good work. Thank you for doing that. And maybe there's, there didn't seem to be that much ego in Lurch. <laughs> he just, it was just kind of something went right once in a while. But God is the doer. And we bless people by putting out that attitude. And our meditation is reinforced when we share that light with people in the appropriate way. Learn to behave, be appropriate. But still, I felt to go down there and thank him personally. Um, and I did. And I, I hope I did it because Master told me to do it. I try to do everything just because of that. But we realize that God is the doer of everything. And everything is happening through God's grace. And everything is only happening through God's grace. A couple, well, let's see, about a month ago, Ananda Sacramento had a loan from a bank. Darmadas and Nirmala, Carmenza, Carrie, and myself were trying to figure out what could we do. The bank didn't want to loan us money anymore because we're a church. I'm not going to go into that whole thing. I could give you 40 minutes on that. But they just didn't want the money. So they wanted the $650,000 back. I said, okay. We, so we went, we, what do you do? Master, what do we do? Master says, go check with other banks. So we go check with other banks. And we do all this stuff. And we're doing our stuff. But there's nobody wants to make us alone. So we talk on the phone and Master, you've got a World Brotherhood colony over there. Would you figure out what you're going to do with it? Because this bank wants their money back. So one day I'm at home. Here. Not there. Here. I'm at home in the day. I'm never at home in the day. The phone rings. I pick up the phone. This longtime disciple, longtime friend of mine phones up, and she says, and I quote precisely, Ananta, I have three quarters of a million dollars. What should I do with it? <laughs> I said, I know what to do with it. <laughs> Guru told me to give it to Ananda Sacramento. Loan it. Just a business loan. 
That's what's really happening. Master is doing everything through us. All of this is God doing through us. Everything that you do at work, God is doing through it. Everything that everyone in your company does at work is being done by God's grace. You may just be a little more aware at this point that God is working through you. And when you go home to meditate, you dissolve that sense that you have anything to do with this. This is all God. And in our case, this is all Babaji and Master. They are doing everything. And when we look, those of us who have been here for a long time, when we look at all this, we look at India and Italy, we realize we're not doing any of this. We couldn't do this. It's too big. Swami Kriyananda said from the beginning, don't try to do this. Let master do this. And for us, that means, yes, you phone the loan officer and you fill out the paperwork and you go get your teeth checked and you take your computer to the guy and all this stuff. Yeah, you do all that. But it's not the computer guy. It's not Lurch fixing your tractor. It's God. It's God fixing everything. And he's real. And he's with you. And then your meditation supports your work. And your work supports your meditation. So at the end of the day, you go meditate and you go back into the undifferentiated light. And then you get up in the morning and you go into the undifferentiated light, silver light and golden light. And then you go back to work. And you keep looking for harmony and intelligence, which is a dilute form of God's wisdom. And you look for kindness and you look for dilute forms of love and gratitude because God is love. God is joy and he's all around us. And we wake up and we realize he's playing all the parts. Here we are. And that's what Swami told us from the beginning. And 40 or 50 years later, as we practice every single day and meditate every single day, longer, deeper, guru-given meditation, it becomes more and more obvious he's doing it. And if we can get out of the way, he'll do it more. Swami Kriyananda used to say, I didn't write the books. I didn't write the songs. I didn't found the communities. Master did it. That's the reality. So try to put them together. I'm going to give you Rod, Master's quote. Master wrote to Rajasi. So you've got the avatar writing to the liberated disciple. But still, it's good stuff. <laughs> so Ma- Master says to Rajasi, Think God. Enjoy God. Live God. Love God. Dream God. Do all things for God. Walk, talk, think, work, move, carry on business for God alone. Enjoy God and let others enjoy him through your living example. God can be given through words, a look, touch, writings, only by those who have touched God. God has created this nightmare of earthly existence, rather this scant dream of life mixed with nightmares, that someday... We will be disgusted of it and try to wake up and enjoy his immortal joy. Om. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> For those of you who don't know me, my name is Swami Padma, and along with my husband, Swami Riman, we're the spiritual directors at Ananda in Seattle. 
and I was supposed to give a talk on Tuesday, as some of you may remember, on habits, and instead I had 24 hours from hell of stomach flu, and I think it was from hell. It sort of felt like that, and Davy and Jatish must have tuned in and decided that the devil wasn't going to have the last word on this, so here we are. And I'll just give you an abbreviated version of it. Master has such a rich amount of teaching on the subject of habits because it's such an important aspect of ego transcendence, such an important aspect of our spiritual lives to be able to drop our our bad habits and be able to actually build strong, good habits that will be God-reminding in our lives. And so, it's so rich, I can't even begin to touch on much of it, but here we go. Habits are like mental mechanisms or aspects of habits are for daily repetitive acts that we have. But we have only so much bandwidth during any given day, only so much energy. And so some habits are there, and they're, they're actually helpful that we don't have to think about certain things. I had a fun conversation with our son Kashi about six months ago. He likes scientific articles, and he had just read an article that talked about this subject, that we have only so much energy and so much bandwidth, and we can only make so many important decisions in any given day. And so you don't want to spend your day making a lot of little decisions because then you run out of juice and you can't make the important ones. And in that article, it said that President Obama was hip to that point, to that thought, and so he had a, a suit that fit him well and a color that worked for him. So he bought seven of them and shirts to match and, you know, socks and ties and all of that. And in the morning, he did not have to think about what he was going to wear. He just, that was one decision he did not have to make for all the important ones he did. And when he told me that, I was so grateful for Swami Kriyananda for the Naya Swami order. Because <laughs> I go to my closet and, you know, it's all blue. <laughs> Nobody knows. Nobody cares. <laughs> but it's actually a very good point because we are trying to transcend all those little things in our lives, those attachments to beauty and color and, you know, yada, yada. Yogananda had these um, just really fun ways of describing some aspects of habits. He said, bad habits tend to fill all the seats of the auditorium of our mind. And the good habits come and there's no seats available and they leave discouraged. <laughs> and of course, we understand, like any good child enjoying humor, we want to flip that one around, right? He had this other one 
about, um, let's see, the, the habit lords and commoners are in debate about who's going to run the body government. And every action we take is a vote. So every action we take repetitively with a habit increases the volume of those votes. And that habit wins. So I wasn't, you know, Jatish said he wasn't going to talk about politics on Monday, and I'm not going to talk about politics today. But these are Master's words. And he said, reason should elect the candidate. And that, let's see, how, how else did it go? Um, the words were, bad habits should be impeached by the tribunal of introspection. That's our entire subject this morning. He said, no amount of whining attitude or even violent rebellion will do it. Only our resolve to consistently put out the effort. Put out the effort. It's also in this body of teaching that he uses that fun phrase of being a psychological antique. And the scary part is he said most of us are psychological antiques. And it occurred to me that in ancient India, you know, how swamis wouldn't stay anywhere more than three days and, you know, not to get attached and to place, location, self-definitions. Well, here at Ananda, right about this time of year, in the middle of Spiritual Renewal Week, in the old days when Swami Kriyananda was first starting Ananda, we would be bracing ourselves for what we used to call the fall follies. Because right after Spiritual Renewal Week and a little bit of a break, he would always come back with all these new ideas and new directions. And we would be asked to change jobs and to change houses and to change, later on when we had communities, locations, continents, you know, so that we would not be identified with, I'm a this, I do a that, I live here, this is my, you know. We become more free, we become more flexible in that process. It may seem efficient on the material plane. You want to gain expertise, you want to do something for a long time till you get it really well. Well, if you do it with God, you can get it really well instantly. And we were forced to do it with God because we had to learn really quick because we were doing things we didn't know how to do. And we're still doing that to some degree. We're all trying to still keep doing that. But he had a sort of a unique way of stirring that pot and keeping us in constant motion. Yogananda talks about the person who... Um, says they have to have meat three meals a day. And then the next person says they have to have a piece of lettuce and nuts three meals a day. 
And he said, either one of them gets sick if it changes just a little bit. He said, I consider that to be a slave to habits. We have to break all of our attachments, all of our preferences, all of our likes and desires and self-identifications. When I used to coordinate the publishing here, Swami was very prolific with his writings. And so he had, at this point, he had completed one book and he started right away on the next book. He had the inspiration. And he gave me the first one to publish. And after a few days, I realized I forgot we need to get the back cover copy in order to, back then we were putting them out three or four weeks, you know, boom, we wanted to see them. And uh, so I went and asked him about back cover copy, which he often liked to write. And he said, well, I'm really into this new book now. He said, can you please write it? And I said, Swami, I don't write. And he turned to me very seriously and in a very strong voice. He said, don't ever say that. He said, of course you can write. You can do anything you put your mind to. And it just really shook every cell in my being when he said that. You know, I I like verbal conversation and telephone. You know, when email came in, it was a challenge. But I define myself in that way. My husband and daughter are great writers, but I don't think of myself as that way. But he said, don't ever say that. You can do anything you put your mind to. You know, on another, another important lesson I felt I learned on this subject was um, in the early years, I used to work with Seva in the finances. And inasmuch as there weren't many, <laughs> the common mantra that I would give when people would come and say, can I have money for this, can I have money for that, is no, 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 no. (laughs) Okay? It's not there. So roll forward, you know, about 15 years, and I'm working at Crystal Clarity, and things are going really well. And I think it's the first year things are going so well. Swami has a number of successful books. The secrets are about to come out. And we were about to break about a million dollars in sales. And the sales team wanted to print 50,000 of each of the secrets. I shared this with some friends recently. And uh, I said, no, (laughs) we don't have the money for that. That's way too much. And we need to be able to pay back any loan and have enough to reprint There's no way we can do that. So a meeting was called with Swami present, and Swami was not very pleased with my no on this. But I said, sir, we would get into debt, and we can't afford this. I said, you know, to pay back loan and and so on. And he said, nothing. (laughs) Often when he said nothing, that's when you learned the most. So I went back to my office. I knew I needed to work on this. So I sent the 
books out for bids to various printers, knowing if I could get the cost down low enough, maybe it could work. The bids came back twice as high as they needed to be. But there was one printer who was creative and super conscious. And he said, well, what is it you need? And I said, I need it to cost half of that. And he said, well, let's think about this. He said, and he gave me like a laundry list of seven or eight choices to make, which would bring the cost down. We got within a nickel. And I said, a nickel times uh, 200,000 books is still too much for us to be into debt. we got to get that nickel down. So he gave me one more thing <laughs> to trim, and we got it down to where it needed to be. And I thought the lesson was that I needed to be able to stand up to Swami and tell him when we were going to get into an intolerable debt situation because he counted on me for that feedback. And then I realized the lesson was he was trying to break me of the habit of saying no. And the way to do that is to keep looking for superconscious solutions. It's that simple, but it's not that simple when you feel his sort of displeasure. I don't want to say it that way. He wasn't disple- it wasn't personal. It wasn't that I wasn't reaching up for my own highest self. And so meditation, more than anything, can help us to break these habits because we get, we get a, a bird's eye view. We begin to learn how to introspect after med- meditation, after making that union, that yoga, that God contact. And if we're trying to get rid of a bad habit, we meditate deeply. And we don't meditate on that habit because we could increase it if we do that. We meditate on the light filling our brain and on God sort of removing, erasing the grooves in our brain to free us from that habit. And when we want to take on a good habit, we concentrate at the point between the eyebrows at the end of meditation. And we think of that habit and affirm it in our lives really strongly in the light Bit by bit, we can transform ourselves in these ways. Meditation alone won't do it if it's just a technique, but meditation with devotion and attunement to God will do it. I I just want to close with one last little story I've shared with some of you through the years, but when I was a young mother here at Ananda Village, Raising, we were raising our two children. And Riemann and I would take turns going to Swami's talks. He gave most of them back then. And uh, after one of his talks, I saw him a day later and I said, Swami, I heard you gave a beautiful talk yesterday. And he said, get the tape. We had just started audioing his talks back then. And thought, okay, and then I forgot about it. And then about two weeks later, the same thing happened. I said, Swami, 
I heard you gave a beautiful talk yesterday. He said, get the tape. Okay, I guess I better get the tape. (laughs) And I realized what I was doing is I'd gotten into the thought form, the habit, of thinking that as a mother and as a parent and doing service and meditating and having everything that we do here in our lives, that I didn't have time to study. I could barely have time to meditate, but I didn't have time to study more deeply and be in tune. And he sort of forced me to get that tape, and I realized I could make the time. There are times when you're doing dishes, you're in the car, you're... The kids are asleep late at night, or there are times, and we are nourished in attunement by that. There is nobody. There are talks of Master, and I think you can count them on two fingers, that are recorded. Swami has thousands. I just, I just want to give a special thank you to Krishna for the treasures. It's. She's so creative about it. I'll get emails from her in Seattle saying, I saw on your website you're giving a class on this subject next month. Here are some links to Swami's talks on that subject. I mean, really, (laughs) Swami is smiling (laughs) at things like that. And so there are thousands of those tapes. They carry... Master's vibration, because Swami transmitted Master's vibration. And they carry attunement from every aspect you can think of on these teachings. So whether it's the the audios or the videos or the books or the music, meditation combined with these will help us to freedom in this lifetime. 